It's in a bistro, spa package, iTunes, Bass Pro Shop. Anyways, just saying. All right. It's a lot of pressure, Cord. Yeah, yeah, since Tyler won. I'll just make up a name of it. Oh, how do you like, this has a date on the back, so that's part of their strategy, so you'll see a number, right? So, Joy Jackson. Where is Joy? Joy, is she not here? She usually sits right here. That's fantastic. All right, all right. Nice, nice. Don't be bitter. Don't, don't be bitter. You can show up tomorrow morning at the Williamsburg campus. You can fill out a card, and maybe you'll get another chance. I'm just saying. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. All right, so you know, if you've been with us, we've been in a series called Monopoly City Life Edition. And when we heard last year that Monopoly was going to get rid of one of its game pieces, they were going to pick one that they felt was outdated, had lost its relevance. They ended up picking the iron, right, because it's not a corded iron. It's one that you would put by a fireplace and heat it up. And they said, so we're going to get rid of that. They added the cat. And we said, you know, that's going to be a great opportunity for us as a church to open up a conversation with ourselves about the difference between things that are temporary and things that are eternal. Now we understand this in our everyday life because there's lots of things that we leave behind and if that's a new thought for you there's probably some things that you need to lay down right. There might be some outfits in your closet there might be some sayings that you use. So what are some things it might be a saying that you used when you were younger it might be a certain style of clothing. I was thinking today anybody have the remember the members only jackets with the tabs on the shoulder. Anybody still have one of those? We'd like to talk to you after the show, right? Okay, nice. All right, so what are, what are some other things that, 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 that have been left behind or should be left behind? You wore sandals for 10 years. Yeah, all right, all right. Even in the wintertime? Even in the, Jenna? The mullet. the mullet, yes. Yeah, it's got it's to go. Scotty? Fanny packs, yes. I hear you, I hear you, Steve. VCRs, indeed, right? DVD players, Blu-ray, Doug? Parachute pants with the members-only jacket. That was an outfit. Somebody, was there somebody over here? Tim? Polyester leisure suits. Tyler? For those at the wedding, overalls, yes, that was funny. Sharon? Palm pilots, yes, I know, right? Indeed, smartphones taking over, Dustin? Beepers, pagers, yes. Saying psyched, yeah, or psych, like if you trick somebody and you say psych, right? Yeah, all kinds of sayings that have been left behind. Hopefully you're not still using that one. Somebody else? Anybody? How about the youth? Any, any youth? Any teenagers? No? No? Any old sayings? How about some sayings that your parents use that you wish they wouldn't use? You got any of those? You going to tell some tales on some? No. They are well-trained, right? Because on the way to church every week, their parents say, you better not say anything about me during the participation parts of the service, or you're going to be grounded. So, so we know 10,000 years from now, Jesus has not yet returned. And there's a service just like this. Nobody's going to raise their hand and say prayer. Nobody's going to raise their hand and say generosity. There are things that are a part of being a devoted follower of Christ that will last forever in this world. There's 12 that we like to talk about here at City Life. We call them the pathways, scripture, prayer, worship, fasting, accountability, and relationships. Gathering, reaching, stewardship, generosity, rest, and service will forever transcend time and culture. If you look at the church anywhere in the world, in any country, where any language is spoken, these same 12 
are still the pillars of the Christian experience. They should monopolize our lives. They are pathways because they lead us into a life that the Bible calls heaven on earth. And we want to be a church that teaches you about them because we want to be a church that helps you to find and live in that life. Now we looked at stewardship and generosity over the last few weeks together and we're going to be talking about gathering tonight. And the reason we're talking about gathering is because we're going to dig into the Easter story. We're going to dig into the Easter narrative. And when we do that, we find that Jesus' command to go, dominating the Easter story, monopolizing his post resurrection conversations. Jesus was a big fan of Monopoly even before it existed. Come on. All throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you see him saying to people, go over and over and over and over again. Let's, get, let's look at an example. Matthew 28, verses 9 through 10. It says, as they went. Now, this is a group of ladies that that, that the, the, the writer here, Matthew, is talking about. There was a larger group of ladies that went to the tomb early in the morning. Mary Magdalene was part of that group. She was part of that entourage. She stayed behind. There was an encounter that she had with Christ by herself. And the rest of the ladies broke off to make their way back to the disciples. And as they were going, they themselves had an encounter with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And it says, as they went, Jesus met them and he greeted them. And they ran to him, and they grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. There it is. Go, tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. You find Mary Magdalene in her encounter, and he tells her to go. Go back to the brothers and the disciples that are in hiding. We see him telling these ladies here to go. And then they're sent with the message of going, right? They're sent with the message that they're supposed to tell the disciples that they're supposed to go. They're supposed to go to Galilee. And then once they get to Galilee, Jesus tells them to go back to Jerusalem. And once they get to Jerusalem, he tells them to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Even when the word go is not used specifically. Even when you don't find that word in the text, we understand that the command was there by the actions of the people that responded to what Jesus said to them. And as you get to the big last moment of Jesus's time here on earth, his last post-resurrection experience, he gives us the final big go. It's the Matthew 28, 19. It's what we know as the Great Commission. It's not just about a place. It's not just about the work. It's about a community of people that Jesus is trying to create called the church. It's about gathering. Because every time Jesus gives the command to go, it carries with it an expectation of gathering. He's just as concerned about who we go with as he is to the place that we get to. He's just as concerned about us not trying to do it by ourselves as he is the work that he's called us to. You have a geographic calling on your life. I have a geographic calling on my life. We believe that our geographic calling for the rest of our lives is here on the peninsula. And back in, the, in the, uh, 2007, when we made a move to come here, when we left Richmond, part of it was because we felt like God was calling us to live here in this place, even though we knew none of you yet. But we knew that God was calling us here because everywhere that God calls you to, there's people that he wants to join your life to. There's people that he wants to connect you to. It's not just about the geography. It's not just about the map. It's about the gathering together of people's lives in the place where you end up. 
And those of you who are in the military understand that, right? Every time you get orders to move somewhere else, times where people stand up and we pray over them to go out, we're excited because we know that God is in control of all of those decisions and he's sending you to a new place to gather you with new people. And every place that you go to, he has a work for you to do. He has a job for you to do. He has something that he's called all of us to do in every place that we get to. But in every place that we get to, in every work and every job that he asks us to do in building his kingdom, it's important that we allow our lives to be connected to others because there is a gathering mandate that Jesus gives with every command to go that he's ever spoken over your life. All right, so let's dig around in the story a little bit. Mark 16, 1 through 4. Mark 16... I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Saturday evening. See, having church on Saturday is biblical. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, because the Sabbath in the Jewish calendar, the day ran from sunset to sunset. So when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, They went to the tomb, and on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us? Don't you love the fact that they didn't try to figure that out before they went? That's part of this journey of faith that we're on. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up, and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. I believe the stone here in the garden tomb is a powerful prophetic picture for all of us of what not to be. Because a stone that stands alone is a stone that is, and that's where we're going tonight. We're going to work through this statement, and there's three things that I want us to understand. Because God does not want us to be stones that stand alone in this life. We're supposed to be stones that are gathered together and joined with other people. And there's no coincidence and there's no accident that Jesus put this message right in the middle of the Easter narrative because he wanted to make sure that the church got it right. And we want to be one of those churches that gets it right. Okay, are you ready? A stone that stands alone is easily moved. A stone that stands alone is easily moved. So we look into this story, right, and we get this feeling that the stone that was there in front of the tomb was this large stone that had weight to it. It had substance, and it was not something that was going to be pushed aside easily. But as you read the story, you realize it was as though it was just kind of flicked and cast aside, that even though it appeared large, it had no weight and it had no substance. And I think it's a powerful picture for you and for me. And as we look into the Bible, we begin to see this picture comes into great clarity for us. Who were some people, come on, we like participation here at City Life. Who were some people in the Bible who stood alone when they should have been standing together with others? And because they were alone, they were easily moved out of their conviction, out of their purity, out of their calling, out of their destiny. Who are some people that come to mind when you think about people that stood alone? Tara. Samson, absolutely. A man who stood alone and a man who was easily moved. Somebody else. Andrea. Peter. We're going to talk about Peter tonight. Peter was a stone that stood alone. He was a stone that was easily moved. Somebody else. Dustin. Judas, absolutely. Rusty. Judas. We got a second on Judas. Yes, sir. David, right? In a time when kings were supposed to go out to war, He was a stone that stood alone. He was a stone that was easily moved. Somebody else? Anybody else? 
Somebody? Yes. Jonah, yes. He was really alone, right? Inside the belly of a whale. That's a great story. That's another sermon just unto itself, right? Even when you feel like you need to step back from what God is asking you to do, you should step into a place of community and work it out with others, right? Come on. We should make a note of that. That's a good sermon in there, Derek. Nice, nice. Any others? Somebody else? All the way in the back. I can't see who it is. But just Lot? Yes, yes. You see the picture? You start in Genesis and you read all the way through. You see it over and over and over and over and over again. That when the stone of who I am as a person stands alone, I am easily moved out of who I am supposed to be and what I'm supposed to become. In Matthew 16, if we start reading in verse 13... I'm going to start reading in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Referring to himself. Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, right? Because John the Baptist, if you've been watching the History Channel, he's been beheaded, right? And so people began to say, We think that Jesus could be John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. So there was a belief in Jesus' day that he might be a prophet that had been raised up out of the Old Testament to minister again. But then he asked him, come on, as he asks all of us, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Here it comes. Now I say to you that, that you are Peter. And in my Bible, in the New Living Translation, there's a parenthetical clause that says, which means rock. And upon this rock, but he uses a different word there, which we're going to talk about, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, as you dig into that text a little bit, this is what you find. He calls Peter Petros in the, in the Greek. Now, some people render that little stone, or some people render that little rock, and that can be the meaning of that word, but it also carries with it a meaning detached rock. It also carries with it the meaning that it's a rock that was part of something much larger that was taken away and now stands by itself. I think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think that's what Jesus was talking about as we continue to read in this text because then he says, right, he says, and upon this rock, and he doesn't use the word Petros anymore, he switches it, and there's a greater exactness to the Greek, and he says, and upon this rock, and he uses the word Petra. Now, that can be rendered a really big rock. It can also be rendered a mass of rocks. Rocks that have been forged together like on a mountainside where it's hard to see where one rock stops and the other rock starts. It's a mass of rock that's been forged together in a way that is absolutely immovable. 
And I think that when Jesus is talking to Peter and talking to us here, he's saying, Peter, you're Petros right now. You're a detached rock. You're a stone as a man unto yourself. But I'm about ready to build something called the church. And the church is going to be built by me taking your life and connecting it to someone else's life and connecting it to another person's life. And it's going to be a Petra. And when you find true community, sometimes it's just hard to know where you stop and the other person starts. And you find a sense of identity and who you are by being a part of a greater whole. And Jesus says, that's what I came to build on this earth. And he says, and if, if, you, if you let me put you in that, I'm telling you what I'm going to build, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. He gives us some insight here into his strategy as an architect. He gives us some insight here into how he's going to do what he's going to do. It's fascinating, isn't it, that he says, I'm going to build this church with people. Because, right, you're a person and I'm a person and we're just, we're unreliable. We're imperfect. We're flawed. We, we've got, right, I'm not the only one who has problems, right? And Jesus says, I came from heaven, that's a perfect place, into an imperfect world. And I'm going to create something absolutely beautiful. But I'm not going to take stuff from heaven to build it. I'm going to build it with what's already here. I'm going to build it with you. And I'm going to join your life to other people. And I'm going to create something unbelievably wonderful, something that is majestic, that stands in the world and is a picture of who the Father is. And then we, we get into Peter's life as we continue to read in the story. Someone mentioned Peter when we were doing that participation moment. See, it might be that as you've read the story of Jesus when he was arrested, that Peter was the only one brave enough to follow after. But I would say he wasn't the only one that was brave. He was the only one that was brazen. He was the only one that was foolish enough to stand alone. He was the only one who was foolish enough to isolate himself from the community of people that he was supposed to be a part of. And because he stood in a place where he stood alone, he became a stone, a Petros that was easily moved, and he stepped into a moment of betrayal. When we step out of community, when we step out of relationship, when we adopt a mindset like, I forget which one of our kids it was, but they had the phrase they like to say when they were little, I do it myself, Right? You have any kids that use that phrase, right? We still say that, right? When we're 46, we just say it in a different way that's a little bit more subtle. Peter was a person that was, I had a I'll do it myself mindset. He had a I'll do it myself attitude. And Jesus let him step into that moment of betrayal because he was trying to help Peter have a desperation revelation, not just for him, but that he would have a desperation revelation for community. That he would have a desperation revelation that if I am a stone that continues to stand alone, I will be easily moved all the days of my life. All right, a stone that stands alone is a stone that is wrongly misshaped. A stone that stands alone is a stone that is wrongly misshaped. When you look into the Easter story, you find this rock that's in front of the tomb. Now, it would have been a rock that was sculpted. It would have been a rock that was round, so it could move down an incline and 
fall into a place that was hewn out of the ground, or maybe there was rock outside of the entrance to the tomb, and so it could settle in there. So it would have been sculpted. It, was, it belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, who was a very wealthy man. So it probably would have been a stone that wasn't just rough-hewn, but would have been polished and finished. It would have been something very nice. It would have been pretty. I was at Kohl's the other day, and I was hunting around the clearance shelf, and there was a family behind me, and, and, the, and the wife was trying to pick out a shirt for her teenage son, and her husband was there, and, and, uh, and she kept holding shirts up and saying, this one's pretty, this one's pretty, this one's, I couldn't help myself, right? And so I, 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 I stepped behind her, and I said, you should use the word handsome, because if you keep using that word pretty, I don't think you're going to be able to talk him into buying any of these shirts that you're, so I'm just throwing that out for free tonight if you've got teenage boys. Use the right words. Okay, all right. So, so this stone, right, it would have been polished and smooth and sculpted. And you know where it was? It was all by itself in a cemetery surrounded by death. And it is a powerful picture for you and for me. Especially when we connect that truth to Exodus 20, 25. Where, where God says to Moses, if you use stones to build my altar, use only natural uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. Last May when we were at the Elam conference, we, Juice and I discovered a guy, Bob Sorge, and some of you know who he is. If you've never read any of his books or listened to any of his message, if you can find them online, he's an amazing teacher. And we preached a sermon, if you remember, soon after we came back from that conference and gave him credit for that as he walked through the story of the Old Testament and where God tells Moses to strike the rock and then later, right, he tells him to speak to the rock. And because Moses strikes it again instead of speaking to it the second time, God says, hey, you cannot go into the promised land because you did that. And that causes us to say, wow, God, he, right, that doesn't seem fair. So Bob Sorge talked about how God's writing a story. And when you mess up God's story, it's serious business. When you, when you mess up the story that God's writing, it's serious business to God. And so he tells Moses, right, you're going to strike the rock. And what we know now is because that was a prophetic picture of Jesus' death on the cross, that he would be struck down, he would die, and from him would flow living water. And then the next time they got to the rock, they were supposed to speak to the rock because Jesus only has to die one time. And we stand before him, we speak to that rock with a vow of devotion, and that water, that living water, it flows to you and to me. He's only going to be struck once. And God says, hey, you're messing up my story. You're a part of God's story. This is part of God's story. The picture of the altar in the Old Testament of these uncut stones, it's a picture of the church. It's a picture of the church that God's going to build. It's a picture of the Petros becoming the Petra that the gates of hell will not stand against. And he didn't want them to use pretty stones. He didn't want them to shape the stones and polish the stones. Would that have made for a better looking altar? Sure it would have, but it would have messed up his story. Come on, you know who you are. I would have been one of those people. I would have showed up for the service, right? The Jewish temple and seeing the, I would have said, wow, you know, it's, I think they, sh they could have done a better job with those rocks, <laughs> right? Are there no artisans here? What's wrong with us, right? Come on, you know who you are, right? We want it to be pretty and polished and fit together in just the right way, but that's not who you are. That's not who I am. And God's saying, I want you to see my story that I'm writing in the world. 
You're a Petras, and I'm going to make you into a Petra. And all those edges to who you are that makes you different from me and makes you unique and sometimes makes you irritating, just like I'm irritating at times because of the eccentricities of who I am. God made all of us that way. And it takes a lot of work to build an altar that you don't shape because when you're shaping the stones, if it doesn't fit right, you just knock off the edge and you slap it in there anyways. But if you're not allowed to shape it, it takes some time. It takes some effort. You have to be a little bit delicate. You got to find the ones that fit together in just the right way. And that's what God's doing with you, and that's what He's doing with me. If you're visiting tonight and this isn't the church that you're looking for, hey, that's okay because there's an altar somewhere else in the city that you're supposed to be a part of. Don't get frustrated, don't give up. Find the one that fits just right because that's the story that God's writing in the world. And what happens is oftentimes for many of us who have grown up in the church, we end up in an environment, in a setting where leaders, maybe they don't like the way that they're shaped, we're shaped, and so they try to reshape us. And all of a sudden that hurts. And if you've been in enough settings like that, like maybe some of you have been, you develop this deep sense of disappointment inside of you. And all of a sudden that disappointment gives birth to an attitude that says, I don't need you. I don't need the church. I can do it myself. The church is responsible for hurting so many people because it tries to reshape people instead of just celebrating them for who they are and working a little harder and putting in a little bit more time and taking a little bit more effort to get them plugged into just the right place. And sometimes it means helping them plug into a different church. And as leaders here at the City Life Church, we're okay with that. Come on. Pastor Freddie's back there at Freedom Life. Come on, it's good to have Freddie in the house with us tonight. He has that same kind of heart. I was talking to a friend of mine just the other day at baseball practice, and they can't come on Saturday nights. He said, do you know of a church in this area that meets on Sunday mornings? And so I sent Vanessa with a card that had your address at Tide Mill Lane on there. I said, give this to so-and-so's father, and I hope he shows up at your Easter service tomorrow morning. We want the Petras to become the Petra, whether it's our Petra or not. It's his story. It's his church. We just need to do the work of getting people built into it. If you're not careful, you'll lose your interdependent edge. It's that part of you that says, I need others. Your interdependent edge is the part of you that says, I just, I just feel less when I'm alone. I want my life to be joined together with the lives of other people. I don't want my life to be misshapen. I want to have the shape that I am. It doesn't mean that the church is not a place for transformation. Don't get me wrong, right? This doesn't give us permission for an attitude. You said I don't have to change. Huh? That's not what we said. Because there's a lot of change involved in being in community with other people. They picked up some of those stones and it had some bird crap right on the top of it, right? <laughs> They had to chisel that stuff off if it had been on there for a long time. There might have been some fungus on the other side of that, right? I don't know about you, but I have a little fungus in the spiritual part of who I am sometimes. And it takes the other people to help work that stuff off. Might have some moss that's growing in places that doesn't belong. We're not saying the church is not a place for change. We're saying we want it to change you in the right way for the right reasons. All right, let's do another one. A stone that stands alone is a stone that is sadly misplaced. 
a stone that stands alone is a stone that's sadly misplaced. So when you look into the Easter story, you find a rock. You find a stone. It was easily moved. It was wrongly misshaped. But it was also sadly misplaced because the stone in the story was cast aside. The stone in the story was just thrown aside as something that was discarded and not needed. And for some of us, that becomes the story of our journey. In Nehemiah 4.2, we find Nehemiah is my, my favorite person in the Bible. It says, can they bring stones? These are all of Nehemiah's detractors. These are all the people that were the naysayers. These are all the people that said, Nehemiah, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to fail. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? This is an important verse for me because a year and a half ago, just before we launched the Williamsburg campus, I sat down with a, a pastor that I know, and, and, and this, he, he said to me, he said to me, this, this campus that you're trying to plant here, it's never going to work. I said, why not? He said, because you're building with burnt stones. I said, where, what is that? Who, where did that come from? So this is a church consultant I know when he travels around and I was telling him about this work that, that you all are starting and, uh, and I was telling him kind of the history because it was a church that was in decline, that was a friend of ours, it was a pattern. I felt like God spoke to us. We've shared that story. We're not going to tell it again tonight, but we felt like God spoke to us that said, go in. Plant a campus there with the people that are there, that are hurting. Start something fresh and start something new. And this, this person looked at me and said, it's never, never going to work. It's going to fail. You can't build a church with burnt stones. Now, I didn't say this, but something welled up inside of me. I didn't say it because, right, Paul said in Ephesians, do not let any, un any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But, but, but sometimes you feel it, right? So I'm going to use a biblical term tonight just to describe the feeling. So the feeling that welled up in my heart was when talking about those people being burnt stones, like, like hell they are, right? That's what I wanted to say, but I didn't say that because that would be inappropriate. But I can share that with you because we've dismissed the kids for kids' church already. That's part of the moss on my stone that needs to get worked off a little bit. So, so we planted that campus there with about 25 people, and, and, and in a couple of months, we had grown it to 11. Well, you're tracking there with the math, right? And you know what the devil's whispering in my ear, right? Can't build a church with burnt stones. Can't build a church with burnt stones. People that are hurting, people that are broken, people that are a little bit bitter, right? We, we try not to make people feel conspicuous, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance tonight. One of my favorite parts in that worship set tonight, I was tearing up over in that front row was seeing Joe Vaught standing right behind this microphone with that guitar in his hand because he was a burnt stone in Williamsburg, but he's not anymore. He's a Petras that's become a part of Petra and the gift of his life. Come on, it's good, Joe. We sit down as we do every month because we want the list that we maintain for the people that call the City Life Church their home, right? We don't want this big, massive role that's just a number. We want to say, who are the people that are joined together with us? And just this week, we tallied up for Williamsburg. Some come off and some come on, and we broke the 80 number barrier. We broke 80. It's happening. I know. Yeah. We don't believe in burnt stones here at the City Life Church. If anything, we, we would say, come on, that's what I want to build the church with because that's what Jesus used. The stones that have been cast aside, the stones that, that people said those people could never be spiritual. Could anything good come out of Galilee? Jesus says, that's when I do 
my best work. And, and, and what begins to happen, what begins to happen for, for if, if this is part of your story, if you've been misplaced, maybe, maybe you've adopted an attitude and a mindset that says, you don't need me. I don't have anything to offer. It's a little bit different, isn't it? You, you get it? The other one, right? The, the stone that's been misshapen, the stone that's born out of disappointment, they adopt an attitude of, I don't need you. But the stone that's been misplaced, the stone that's been wounded, the stone that just gets cast aside, you begin to adopt a mindset, there must be something wrong with me. And insecurity begins to take hold of our lives. And all of a sudden, we develop a mindset and a mentality that says, you don't need me. And so I asked a couple of ladies to share a little bit of their life story with us. I'm going to read them both to you. The first one comes from Jennifer Muro, and this is what she writes. Attending City Life has been a fun journey, yet very challenging for me at the same time. City Life asks us to take an active role as servants. Stepping out of my seat and standing out has never come natural to me. Not to count, I have always taken my husband's lead. And when we finally decided to accept the responsibility of being on a Saturday Life team, I still followed Cameron's lead. However, I was stuck, struck by the amazing leadership that Danielle Ramos possessed. And the impact that she had on my life was immeasurable. Not long after serving on Pedro and Danielle's SLT, that's a Saturday Life team, Cameron and I were asked to lead an usher team. Very hesitantly, I agreed, once again taking Cameron's lead, knowing that God was telling me to step out of my comfort zone. I prayed and asked God to give me the leading abilities to rise to this occasion. However, I just didn't feel I would be capable See, this idea of insecurity, it's not something that, that, that just causes us to withdraw from people. Sometimes it causes us to withdraw from our potential. Come on. And around the same time, I apprehensively, she puts that there, attended this year's women conference after being assured by Lynette Tully, who's very trustworthy, that women's events at City Life are unlike others. I don't know what that means. I'm just glad we're on the right side of that statement. Quite honestly, getting along and hanging out with other women is another one of my weak suits. And after a groundbreaking sharing session at the conference, I voiced my concerns for my inability to serve as a leader and expressed my gratitude to Danielle for giving me a role model to live up to. And I came home that night from the conference and I shared with Cameron how I wasn't sure where God wanted me, but I didn't feel adequate at sharing in this new leadership role. And Cameron assured me that God would provide me with the tools. Come on. It's a good word from a husband. And that Saturday night, God showed me that he knew my heart and heard my prayers when Pastor Fred, that's me, offered a prophetic time in the service about not being exceptional, right? If you were here that night, right? We, I felt like God spoke to me that week that there was somebody here that night who had been having a conversation just that week with somebody about not being exceptional, and God wanted to set them free from that. And God showed me that earlier in the week before the conversation even happened. It's powerful. Come on. I felt as if he was speaking directly to me, and in that moment, I felt as if God was reassuring me that taking an active role in church was exactly what he planned for me. And that night, I didn't realize that I saw another hand raised over here in this section. I thought it might be a youth because they tend to gather in that section, and I didn't find out till later that it was Danielle Ramos. And I didn't know until after I read these just this week that their stories were connected together. Come on, isn't God good? 
So this is what Danielle writes. In the Saturday service on March 2nd, you gave a prophetic word about not feeling exceptional. And my heart jumped and I whispered, I just shared this with the women the night before at the hotel. This is an area I've dealt with my whole Christian walk, feeling unexceptional, feeling I have nothing to offer or to bring to the table as a woman of God. And this caused me not to act when God was telling me to. I know the enemy loves keeping me here, keeping me stagnant, no more. She writes, all caps. As you prayed and hands were laid on, right? Because we had them each stand and the church gathered around each person and we prayed. It says that, that as, as people prayed for me and hands were laid on me, I told God, I'm laying this at your feet. I want all that you have for me. I know I can't move forward or receive everything God has for me believing these lies. I am daily making a choice to view myself as God sees me, transforming my thoughts to be in line with God's word, being intentional about my thoughts, reflecting his. I am his precious daughter. I know he delights in me. I know he thinks I am truly exceptional, all caps and Lots of explanation points. I love Psalm 139. She writes 13 through 18. If you've never read that, you should read that tonight before you go to bed. Psalm 139. Reminding me of how exceptional I truly am. Come on, isn't that good? If we're not careful, we'll let insecurity creep into our hearts that says I've got nothing to offer. And we become a stone that stands alone. And a stone that stands alone is sadly misplaced. It just gets cast aside. And oftentimes, no one else is responsible for casting us aside. We jump there ourselves, born out of the insecurity that we have embraced in our heart, that God wants to displace. And he wants you to discover that he has a dream for you. As Celeste was leading in worship tonight, he loves you with a love that's absolute, that we can't find words in this earthly realm to describe it. That you have a place where you're supposed to be and a work that you're supposed to do. And he says to you, and he says to me, go. But as he says to go, he says, you better gather together with others as you do. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up or the people that are participating in the special you ever done any math in Easter service? You know, I was thinking earlier about things that are left behind. I just remembered, you know, things that are dated. I, I made a vow of devotion to Christ in, in 1990, so I was in the early 90s charismatic movement, right? You were not going to heaven if in your Easter service at your church you guys didn't sing Dallas Home Rise Again, right? Anybody remember that? Right? They're not going to sing that song tonight. We've moved, we're moving on, moving on. All right. Anybody know what that number is up there? It's what? It's five. Nice. Come on. Some mathematicians in the house. You know, it's an unsolvable number. People have tried. They've run it through supercomputers. You would think with technology being what it is today, they would be able to find the end of this, but they can't find the end to it because right? there isn't an end to it. And even if Jesus doesn't come back for another 10,000 years and, and they calculate that out, they're, just gonna, they're never going to find the end. I, I believe that. You know why? Because I think God likes to hide stuff in this universe that speaks to eternity. I think he likes to put things in this world that remind us that there's something bigger that we're a part of. I think he dropped this number into the world because he wanted to say, hey, there's a difference between, between things that are temporary and things that are forever. I was hearing somebody talk about this on television not too long ago, and they were saying, hey, if you take all those numbers and you correspond them to letters in the alphabet, you know what it means, right? It means that the story of every person's life is in this number. If you wrote out the story of your life, there'd be enough letters in this number 
to tell your story. And not just your story, but every story of every person who's ever lived. Eternity is in the right side of that decimal place. And it's all there. It's forever. It's eternal. Your story, my story, every story in this book. And we have this person at the center who's Jesus, right? And then there's my life that stands in the church. But if you take my life as a relationship to that circle, you're just going to get some wackety number. But if you take a diameter and divide it into the circumference of the circle, you get pi. It doesn't matter how big the circle is. That's what's so fascinating about this. You take a small number, you take, I mean a small circle, or you take, you take the earth as a circle. It doesn't matter the size of the circle. You take a circle as big as the universe, if you divide that circumference by the diameter, you're going to get that same number every single time. But you're not going to get it with just this. You've got to connect it to this. You think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. I think God's saying to you, and I think God's saying to me, if you want to release eternity into this world, you better connect your life to somebody else. If you want to release something forever in this world, if you want to be a part of doing something in this life that's going to change the world that we live in, then you better allow your life, a radius, to be connected to someone else's life, becoming a diameter. And then, relative to the church, you begin to release something undescribable in the world in which we live. But you're not ever going to do it by yourself. You're not ever going to do it alone. And when you begin to put this into practice, I believe we become a fulfillment of Jesus' promise in John 14, 12, where he said, you think I've done some great things in my life and in my ministry? I mean, he's the son of God. He said, you're going to do greater things. In the Greek, it's megas ergon, greater things. You want to do greater things in your life? And you let your life be joined together with other people. And let's do something great together for our King. Come on, stand with me. Father, I pray that in this moment as we stand and feel this song that's about to be shared with us, that, that we would be willing to have a conversation with you. That every person here would, 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 would be willing to here you ask them the question, what kind of stone are you? Are you a stone that stands alone? And for every stone that stands alone here tonight, that every person here tonight would be willing to say, I don't want to be a stone that stands alone anymore because I don't want to be that stone that's easily moved. I don't want to be that stone that's wrongly misshaped. I don't want to be that stone that is sadly misplaced. I want to be a Petros that becomes a part of a Petra. I want my life to be joined together with another life, and I want to see Megas Ergon greater things for me, for the church, and for the world. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together. There was a day we held our breath and felt the sting of bitter death. When all our hopes were buried in the grave Our eyes awake, our hearts were torn Between our faith and what we knew 
before the king was buried in the grave. And grace was in the tension of everything we've lost, standing empty-handed, shattered by the cross. And all we had, all we had, was a promise like a thread. day we looked for proof that you had risen from the tomb and our doubts began to fade away we touched the scars upon your hand you kept your word oh son of man you buried death by taking on the grave you came Everything was lost, no longer empty handed, clinging to the cross. All we had, all we had was a promise like a thread, holding us, keeping us from fraying at the edge. All we knew, all we knew was you said you'd come
It's not bad for a bunch of burnt stones, is it? Come on. So you know we got to finish with this verse out of First Peter, right? First Peter chapter two. Verse five, it says, and you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. A church that you can't see with your eyes. A church that you don't have to have a building permit to create. It's built together with living stones when the Petros becomes Petra. The rock climbed out from behind a rock so he could live in this rock. The rock climbed out from behind a rock so he could live in that rock and in that rock and in that rock so that you could be a living stone that God could get a hold of and join your life to the lives of the people around you to build something in this world. Every time he says to us, go, it always carries with it an expectation of gathering. Don't be a stone that lives alone. Father, find in us an interdependent edge. Find in us an appetite for others. Find in us a longing and a devotion and a commitment and a passion and a fervency that says, I don't want to be by myself. And God, if we've just been smoothed over and misshaped and polished in all the wrong ways, then come on, just drop us and pick up a chunk that remains and just let us start all over again. We want to be built into the altar that you've called us to. We want to be a part of the church that we're supposed to belong to because we want to see greater things. We want to release Magos, Aragon into our world that you're asking us to be a part of the story that you're writing here in the peninsula, that you're asking us to be a part of the story for people that are visiting tonight, wherever they call home, that you're asking all of us to play a part, to have a role. But we can't do it, but we stand alone. May we be a people who gather together for your name's sake all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said together, Amen. We'll see you next week.